Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Sonia Preisler, who is the Communications and Fund Development Coordinator for ARCH, which is HIV AIDS Resources and Community Health. We wrap up our miniseries highlighting local charities and nonprofits just in time for Giving Tuesday on November 30th, but also just in time for World AIDS Day the very next day on December the 1st. In this series, we've covered neighborhood groups, food insecurity, local environmental action, and poverty, and this week we come around to healthcare. Despite the wealth of healthcare resources in our city, there's one group that has been dedicated to helping those who have fallen through the cracks for more than three decades, and as you can imagine, their business has continued to boom because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So here, on the eve of this year's World AIDS Day, we will look at how HIV is only where Arch's story begins, and that is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. We've been insanely focused on healthcare for the last 20 months, and understandably so. We've done a lot about COVID, and we've talked a lot about the ancillary impacts on mental health and the opioid crisis, but did you know that Arch has been doing all sexual health testing and treatment for Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health since the start of the pandemic? And this is on top of a laundry list of services that Arch offers, including, but not limited to, the Needle Exchange Program, support for the Safe Consumption Site, support for the Community Health Fan, equity training for local groups and businesses, the Transgender Health Clinic, and education outreach support and clinical services for those living with and affected by HIV-AIDS and those who are at risk of HIV. Under the best of circumstances, Arch is doing a lot of vital work, and they have to find much of that funding for themselves, but in the midst of lockdowns and COVID precautions and whatever, much of their normal fundraising activities have had to be cancelled, so no more big events that attract big crowds and raise a lot of money, and at the same time, their services have become much more essential than ever. Still, Arch has persevered as they have for 31 years, assisting clients in Guelph and Wellington County, plus Dufferin, Gray, and Bruce counties, all thanks to a dedicated staff who cover a wide range of disciplines and talents. This week, we're joined by the person who helps keep the business of Arch going because fundraising and communications are her wheelhouse, and she's going to tell us all about what's going on at Arch. So Sonia Preisler is the guest on this week's Guelph Politicast. She joins us to talk about the long list of Arch's services, how the pandemic has changed the way they've had to deliver those services, and why the pandemic had no impact in terms of creating less demand for their core services. We will also talk about the little-discussed pandemic impact on sexual health, the general effects of the pandemic on community health initiatives, and how it's fallen on Arch to pick up a lot of the work that's fallen through those cracks of government-funded healthcare and public health. And finally, we will talk about Arch's future, how you can get involved, and what the significance of World AIDS Day is in the year 2021. So I caught up with Sonia Preisler earlier this week via Zoom. So Sonia Preisler, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. To start off with, um, maybe off the top of your head, because I know Arch does so much, but uh, can you describe as many of the things that Arch does as you can? Yeah, absolutely. So Arch stands for 
uh, HIV AIDS resources and community health here in Guelph. Our catchment is quite big. We go all the way up to like Bruce County, uh, Simcoe County. So it's quite big. Um, yeah, and we do a wide array of programming to help address the needs of our community, uh, and especially including supporting our, our folks who are living with HIV and those who are disproportionately impacted by the virus. Um, and so we've been doing that for like 31 years, 32 years. So pretty long time to be doing really resilient grassroots and responsive work. Um, yeah, so we've been on the front lines. I'll go into the brief like abbreviation of the job, but like we've been on the front lines of HIV AIDS healthcare. We've been doing 2S LGBTQ rights stuff. We've, we've worked with addiction and the devastation of like opiate and fentanyl crisis uh, and then navigating those and more right now, right? With the pandemic. Um, yeah, and so full thing of what we do health promotion team is one thing and then we also have the full clinic too um so meeting people where they're at we do a lot of education advocacy and in, in community related to things uh like sexual health youth outreach and we have a huge harm reduction program too uh we do um uh the stay sharp so distribution of safe needles and stuff and then we do a community cleanup uh, and we're also collaborators of the safe uh, consumption site too um, what am I missing? Oh, and we're also home to Gulf's only trans health clinic, uh, really uh, highly sought after, well-respected presence in our community. Um, yeah, I think that sums up a little bit of what we do, but it's not the full array for sure. <laughs> uh, I wasn't keeping time or anything, but that was that yeah. wasn't quite under a minute, but it was uh, around a minute. Uh, I, I think people understand sort of like the origin story of Arch when it, I correct me if I if I get the name wrong I didn't look it up before we started but like it was the AIDS committee of Guelph for all, the longest time yeah absolutely and and so it, then now it's arch it seems I mean you can sort of see how things stretched out from helping people in our community who have HIV AIDS to sort of things like needle exchange because a lot of people mm -hmm. got HIV through um, sharing needles to things mm -hmm. like you know uh, queer uh, supporting queer rights because I mean who are the victims of AIDS uh, mm -hmm. many of the victims of AIDS proportionally but I mean going all the way out now to like the community van and supporting people who use substances um, like trans health clinic I mean how how does like this one idea grow into all of these different ideas that it you know you can't describe what Arch does in like one minute <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair I think we've always had a community care lens and uh, what that means is that we're meeting community where they're at and so we're responding to needs and so we are constantly evaluating you know what the needs are and then trying to respond to it as well as best as we can right so when things are coming up and we see a need that's when we we step in and so that's what's really great about this organization being so grassroots is that we're able to do that and adapt to that um and really we we so highly value um lived experience at this organization and we really rely on our paid peer workers to um support us in connecting with community and 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 being really good at community you know like uh, supporting community and so I think that's how it just transforms and it's very malleable in that way because we need to be at you know agile and adaptable and responding to community need yeah and on the practical side of it like when you like how does it go from like I guess even how do you get the idea like something like a, a, like having a trans health clinic which is like a community need um I, I guess like how does that come to arch as an idea and then how do you turn that idea into something that's actualized and that's something that's that becomes a part of your core services mm -hmm. i i can't speak too much to it because i wasn't there when when the initial start happened of the, the trans clinic but i know that um 
we did like a, a community survey to see if that's something that the community needed. And then we, you know, fi finding funding is really important for that too. Um, and, uh, and, you know, building resources around it too, to be able to provide services. Does that kind of answer it? I don't think it did, but yeah, I think, um, I think yeah. it gives you an idea that it's, you know, um, because every time you add a service, you are also having to add staff, you're having to add resources. Mm -hmm. And it's for, and what part of this series is trying to get at is that um, money doesn't grow on trees, which I think everybody knows, but I don't think everybody appreciates when it falls on a group <laughs> like yours to sort of answer a community need like a, like a mm -hmm. trans health clinic or like needle exchanges or, or, mm -hmm. or helping to open a, um, a safe consumption site, things like that. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think it takes a lot of partnerships too, like even for the safe um, consumption site, right? That's collaboration with Guelph um, Community Health Center and with Sanguine. Um, and so really relying on community partners and, and being good community partners together, right? Going for funding together, may it be, or um, just realizing that there's so much need in our community, but we are, you know, supporting similar folks. And so it's really critical for us to know that and to, and to um, work together rather than try to like compete over resources or that stuff. So um, yeah, funding is always an issue. It's always precarious. And so we're always looking for more funding. Um, and yeah, it's about that like community aspect of supporting each other's work. Yeah, for the greater good. And speaking of community partnerships and community need, I was not aware of this, but Arch has been handing, handling um, basically like uh, STD testing and the, mm -hmm. the, the great share of, pub, of sexual health that is normally sort of overseen by public health while their attention has been on the pandemic. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, as Arch, the Arch Clinic took over all of the testing for the region. Uh, we found it really daunting that there wouldn't be um, if, um, if public health couldn't do it and they couldn't do it because they were busy uh, with COVID testing. Um, and so that was really scary for us. And so we took it over. Um, and, but again, it's with no extra funding. So that's the hard part, right? Like we, we don't have extra funding. This is for the goodwill of our community and wanting to to make sure that people are feeling safe. One of the things that we've heard um, through anecdote through our community members is that people don't want to get tested for STIs at um, at their at their doctors or that kind of thing. Like they often go to places like public health to do it just because there's a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, and so we knew that, or you know, they'd go to a walk-in. And so we knew that those options uh, really limited that and could really be negative in our community. And so yeah, we took it over. Um, so lots of long days for our clinic, for sure. And uh, yeah, under-resourced, understaffed. Um, but that was a huge thing that we were able to do for our community. We're happy to do it, but it is not very, <laughs> yeah, not very sustainable without funding. Right. Mm -hmm. Without assigning blame, because I, I don't mean to assign blame in asking the question, but I mean, has like this, these other aspects of healthcare like suffered because of the pandemic, because there's so much emphasis on making sure people don't get COVID that, you know, people looking after their sexual health mm -hmm. and things of that nature have suffered. 
because of it. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I would say. And, you know, we, we kind of say like, oh, everybody has to stay home. And so for that reason, people are not going to have sex and that's not realistic, right? Like people are going to have sex. People need to deal with a crisis that's happening. And, and that's like a, a means to deal with it too. Right. Um, we often don't think of ourselves as sexual beings, but we absolutely are. And so for that reason, we still have to provide those services. We can't just say like, like people should not be having sex because that's not, not meeting where people where they're at and also just like not realistic, you know, it's not um, harm reduction. So yeah, you're right. It did suffer for that. Um, right. Just that, that framework and that thought. Yeah. And a lot of people have been talking this from different angles. And of course there was the, um, the national day uh, overdose awareness day back at the mm-hmm. end of August, but you are, Arch, not you specifically, but Arch has also been part of answering the secondary pandemic, which probably not the right way to phrase that. But this this the pandemic of the overdose crisis in our community Mm -hmm. and how we've seen that um, kind of increase uh, since the start of the pandemic, not just people using, but people getting bad supply and things like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sus- like suspected substance related deaths rose by 260% in our region. It's absolutely devastating. Um, and not a lot of attention has been drawn to it. And it's just, it's the increasing toxic drug supply, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we're dealing with. And so for sure, that's been uh, devastating on our community. Mm-hmm. So given all of these challenges, I guess, how did the pandemic affect like, cause at the same time you're talking about increased challenges um, to the issues you deal with, but then there is also, I imagine a, an additional challenge in how you can deliver services. So can you talk a bit about, you know, how the pandemic changed the way Arch does its business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we had to adjust all existing programs to online forums. Um, so, you know, we had a, a peer drop-in trans program that um, went online. Um, we had our support team doing phone calls to folks every every day, uh, making sure that they're okay. So there's definitely, um, our community is dealing a lot with isolation and uh, loss of community in that way. Um, and so, yeah, making sure that things are accessible online, which is already tri- pretty difficult because people don't have access to reliable internet or, or to, uh, you know, services or like phones or computers of that sort. So that's also challenging. Um, and then we also had to add extra programs. So we saw that a lot of our folks had um, like had loss of income and weren't able to make basic needs. And so for that reason, we had to uh, create new programs like our hamper program, mm. um, essentially uh, making sure that people were getting basic groceries every week um, throughout the pandemic as a a result. So yeah, it's been a lot of adapting and trying to be nimble and again, reacting to what we need to do. Um, We are still doing, um, we are still making kits for our safe supply program for a harm reduction program, Um, not safe supply, just harm reduction program. Um, Yeah. So lots of, lots of things that we just had to sort of pick up and do. Yeah. This may be a big question, but I mean, you're kind of in a prime position or Arch is in a prime position to answer it. But I mean, how has the pandemic affected like overall health? Because you're, you're sitting at an in- intersection of mental health, physical health, sexual health. Um, you know, you're, you're also like handling a lot of the public health load. So mm-hmm. just like, are, are we kind of as a, as a people, even, you know, despite 
how highly aware we are of our own health at this moment? Are we less healthy now? Do you think? Of course. I really think so. Yeah. We've been dealing and we've been going through survival mode for last year and a half. Right. And we're not even processing what's happened. I don't think we, there's so much collective grief, collective uh, trauma that has happened through this time. That's really going to impact us long-term for a long, long while, unless we start to talk about it. So definitely uh, even as we begin our conversation around parent health, um, (laughs) you know, that, uh, that fear of going to, to see healthcare or, fee, or professionals, um, going to the doctor for checkups. I think we've, we've really kind of been, um, what's the word, I guess, just like wary of, of situations and cognizant of, 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 of getting sick. And so for that reason, I just think like overall we're, we're less on, we're, we're very unhealthy, <laughs> um, just because we have to do so much processing and it's all interconnected to like your, your body health to your, your mental health, like you're saying. So yeah, I'd say we need to be taking care of ourselves and our nervous systems for sure. <laughs> we tend to, to, to revisit our conversation before we started recording. You know, mm-hmm. we, we tend to think of like healthcare as a hassle. It's like, Oh, I have to go to the doctor for this appointment. Or I have to go to the hospital for this exam. Um, it's not hard. It's not hard to imagine that that feeling that it's actually become more of a hassle because now you have to like look at the questionnaire and you have to mask and you have to sanitize your hands and make sure you're vaccinated, present your vaccine certificate. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's you know it's even you know for for humans are hardwired I think to try and do the something the easiest way as possible and now kind of you know these things that are we always think are a hassle are now even more of a hassle because of COVID. <laughs> No, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I was even talking to a friend about it today. It's just that we're like relearning how to do these things, right? We've been so good at just like hibernating and trying to, you know, stay home and stay safe, which is so important. But I guess we're retraining ourselves on on socializing and on going to making those appointments and going to the doctor and, and kind of embracing this new, new world, I guess, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how has so much sort of fallen on arch? I guess, like, what are the kind of like the systemic things? You know, we, we, when we're talking about healthcare, especially in Guelph, I think a lot of people are like, well, we're so big now, we need a new hospital. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say that's not uh, a need or that's not something we should definitely get. But I mean, just um, in the interest of full disclosure, your, your administrative assistant sent this full list of things mm-hmm. that Arch does, mm-hmm. um, including some of the stuff we've talked about and stuff that we haven't really touched on yet. It just seems like you are being asked to fill a gap without like the commensurate continuous like like infrastructural support of something like a hospital or something mm-hmm. like a clinic or something like public health. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? <laughs> because we have always been I mean this movement like if you're thinking about HIV and AIDS it's always been it's a, it's a health equity issue, right? It's like uh, and that's transpired still to this day. So we're, we're always being asked to fill in the gaps because we, we see people where they're at and because we notice the gap, but like we want to be um, uh, working for uh, affirming and inclusive healthcare system. And unfortunately, our systems aren't like that yet. Um, yeah, so that's why we often shoulder it. And I hope that our healthcare system becomes more equitable at, at, the, at this point. I, yeah, there's a lot of cracks that people are falling through. Um, and just the stigma that people are living through. Right. Like we we need to train health professionals to do better in that 
way, you know, just because they're we're not going about it in a good way right now in terms of our healthcare system. Yeah. Well, can you talk about about that? Like, how are like the health professionals at Arch, I guess, trained differently than like a health professional you might encounter at the doctor's office or at a clinic or or somewhere like that? Yeah, for sure. Well, our our folks are uh, trauma informed. They're two uh, LGBTQ uh, informed and trained. Um, and we uh, take a sex positive lens too, right? And so we're not about shaming or, or stigmatizing folks. It's really about like meeting when you, again, I say this a lot, but it really is. It's just meeting you where you're at, right? And, and listening to you and, um, and providing support as needed. I remember this terrible story of a friend who um, went to uh, the hospital. This was a while ago. And um, they assumed that that it was a person who was using substances. And so for that mm. reason, they took out these big gloves and everything and wrote something about their name, you know, like that this person, um, I think they used terrible wording like addict, which is something that we don't use. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's just the kind of mindset that, that some healthcare professionals have, like they don't know how to work with um, some of the populations that we support. And so it's really, really terrible because then folks don't ever want to visit those places anymore and and then don't get care and yeah it's terrible it's a terrible like cycle of of trauma and abuse essentially yeah right and so how many how many like uh, other people in in the medical profession sort of seek out the training that you offer like <laughs> how, how how willing how much willingness is there in a in the community that uh, people want to sort of educate themselves about how to approach these things differently, like not using the word addict, for example. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not really sure. I can't really answer that. It's not my um, area of expertise. I hope that people are open to it. Right. Uh, and we do have those resources, right? We do do a lot of training and um, and provide resources for folks to learn more. But I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah. But it's there in the community and you hear about yeah. it. So it's it's Absolutely. not it's not a rare event, shall we say. No, unfortunately, it's not. Yeah. Anecdotally, mm -hmm. we hear, hear it from our folks all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Looking yeah. back to um, resources, um, we've talked a lot about how the pandemic has uh, affected the, your service delivery, but it has also mm -hmm. affected your capacity to fundraise to deliver mm -hmm. those services. There's no mm -hmm. big arch fundraising events which i know you depend on because uh we can't we can't get together like we used to you're right totally yeah this year we had one of our our most significant events it's called a taste for life and it happens uh, across the city and we invite restaurants to participate and they donate 20 percent of their proceeds at the end of the night to arch and uh, aside from that, we also get to talk to folks about what Arch does, about all the great things that <laughs> I've been talking to you about. Um, and yeah, we we weren't able to do that this year. We did something a little bit different. I don't know if you heard about it, but it was called the Golden Ticket to a Tasty Life. Eh? Mm -hmm. Pretty fun. <laughs> um, and it uh, we we knew that the hospitality industry that has supported us so greatly in this event for over you know ten years, I uh, was really suffering too. And so we decided to incorporate a gift certificate for those restaurants in the golden ticket. So you weren't only supporting us as Arch, but you were also supporting a restaurant, a local restaurant. And it went over really well, but of course it's not the same, you know, meeting people and being in a space together and raising funds is so important. And it's definitely been a, a big deficit in our community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess, how are you planning ahead too? Because a lot of fundraising is about like 
just it's it's the groundwork of planning right it you know you like you stick a pin in the map and then you work backwards and one of the things we've learned in this pandemic is you can't really stick a pin in the calendar because Mm -hmm. who knows where we'll be in six weeks let alone six months Mm -hmm. so i mean how does that affect your job like that kind of i guess just like that nebulous gray blob that is the future we don't know where we will be at any given time (laughs) (laughs) i know i need to get out of fun development because it's too stressful (laughs) right now um having said that though yeah no i think it's just um again just trying to like suss things out and see how we can do it differently i think we're gonna do a taste for life again we'll probably do a hybrid version of maybe being in restaurant in person and maybe this golden ticket thing again but again it's about reinventing the wheel as it seems um you know, people still want to give and that's amazing. And, and Guelph is really known for being a really great community for, for wanting to support local uh, organizations and causes. And so I guess we just have to be inventive and, and keep people engaged. I think that's the important part. I'm sure in the head of some of the people listening to this, there's this nagging, scratching thing. It's like, well, this is healthcare. We're talking about healthcare here. That's supposed mm-hmm. to be a government responsibility. Um, why is this group that is doing so much healthcare having to scramble and fundraise and, you know, <laughs> give of themselves so much um, when this is supposed to be quote unquote government healthcare, I guess. Um, what's right. the, what's the <laughs> Delta, I, I guess, between, you know, why, why is it so hard for your services to get funding? Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, Really good question. And, um, you know, we often say that our work is a bit political and it absolutely is. I think we are really fearful of like, you know, when things get a little conservative and worrying about the work that we do. Um, harm reduction isn't very popular in mm. some areas. So, yeah, I don't know how to answer that uh, <laughs> from the perspective of Arch versus it's getting like, <laughs> you know, I'm sharing my own perspectives now. But yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. It's yeah. just one of those things that, you know, we, we as Canadians sort of take pride in, quote unquote, universal health care, but it's not quite mm-hmm. universal that it, it just uh-huh. like there, there is this big gap that this one uh-huh. group is filling on Absolutely. its own. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah. So I guess um, what are the challenges you're facing right now in, in terms of like can you commit to sort of long-term planning without the fundraising piece? Like, are you kind of at the whim of sort of the emergency situation? Like you're, you're still doing all this sexual uh, testing. Um, You're answering, you know, the different needs of the community. Uh, But I mean, are you able to plan? Like, are you able to make plans (laughs) that are like more than a couple of weeks out? (laughs) No, we definitely are. We have, we have funding. We have a lot of, we have, let me rephrase that. We don't have a lot of funding, but we have funding for certain programs. So that's mm-hmm. the interesting part is like different, you know, PHAC will fund one thing and this will fund another part of it. And United Way will fund practical support for, for us. And so it's like a lot of different sections of, of funding, which works, um, but it is precarious year to year. Right. And if you're, you know, right now our funding cycle might be ending for one thing and it's, it's a bit daunting. Yeah, for sure. For all of us to, to sort of plan, but at the root of it, we know the work has to be done and we prioritize that work and we, and we make it happen. You know, that's uh, that's the least that we can do, but we definitely, 
uh, have been here for so long. So we know how to be resilient and be present. Uh, and we'll keep doing that because the need is here. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, this being around for 31 years help, you know, sort of <laughs> build, build legitimacy for lack of a better word. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk a bit about the immediate future. Um, because one of the reasons I kind of wanted to end this uh, little series I was doing with Arch was because Giving Tuesday, yeah, coincidentally comes right before World AIDS Day, so mm-hmm. I know that's uh, a big deal. Um, can you talk a bit about sort of the significance of World AIDS Day um, in 2021 and, and like how far we've come with you know dealing with HIV and AIDS as a as uh, it was a once a, once upon a time considered a pandemic. And uh, Mm -hmm. now it's something people can live with. Absolutely. Yeah. So over the last 40 years, there's been so many advancements in HIV and AIDS care, Um, you know, from PrEP and PEP to antiretroviral therapy, like there's lots of things that have happened. And and so we're so fortunate. But um, like there's been so much loss and grief and uh, political action to for politicians to listen to what has happened. Like there's such a legacy of this movement. you know, big shoulders, uh, elders that we, um, that we stand on. And so for that reason, World AIDS Day is still so important. Um, and because the stigma still exists. So we've made these, you know, medical advancements, but stigma still exists. And uh, one in four people are discriminated against based on that. And um, yeah, so World AIDS Day is uh, a day to come together to honor those who we've lost, to celebrate all the, all the good that has happened. And um and then show our community resiliency. I think that's the thing, right? Like the, this, uh, the HIV and AIDS movement has always been about people coming together uh, to fight for each other, to fight for the living, uh, to honor the, you know, those who have lost. And so for that reason, that's what we continue to do. And it's a big tradition and it's an important event. Um, yeah. And you will be having an in-person gathering to market this year. We will, absolutely. So we're doing 100 candles for uh, World AIDS Day. So we'll be lighting them. It'll be a really a drop-in kind of situation. Um, we'll light them outside. Uh, there'll be like some refreshments, some coffee, some hot chocolate, uh, some treats. And then we can drop in and talk about those who you've lost and you want to share um, or just share something hopeful too for the future. Um, yeah, we're hoping to have that space. Again, it comes back to uh, relearning how to socialize together because I feel like we've all wanted to be together in person, but there's a little bit of anxiety around that still, right? So uh, we're hoping that this is like a nice way to do it. Really low pressure, but still a good way to, to honor the day. And it's a good warm up because uh, Women in Crisis is having a, an in-person thing in Marianne's Park for uh, yeah. December the 6th. So absolutely not a literal warm up because I imagine it will be cool. But... <laughs> It will, absolutely. <laughs> so if people are interested in helping out uh, Arch, whether that's using people power, whether that's using their, their purse, um, what kind of help are you guys looking for right now? Right. Yeah. Well, first thing is that we, uh, November 24th is the launch of AIDS Awareness Week. And for that week, we have lots of events. So you can visit our website at archguelph.ca to learn more about it. There's a drag bingo. There's uh, a lunch and learn workshop. There's lots of things that folks can get involved in and learn more about Arch. Um, and then we're always looking for volunteers. So through that same platform, you can check us out and, and, and see if there's something that you, uh, you can help us with. Um, uh, and then lastly, we have the Red Scarf Project. So everyone can get a red scarf. 
uh, and show their support for people who are living with HIV in our community um, just by wearing a scarf throughout December. That's a really tangible thing that one person can do. And, and then, yeah, donate on our page, donate on our Canada Helps page. Uh, all the money goes to our, support all the services and programs that we do. Um, yeah. And we also have a food hamper program. So folks can, are welcome to drop food off to actually at our office, which is 77 West Mount Road in Guelph. There's right. lots of ways to get involved. You can even share things online. Like <laughs> there's no excuses for not wanting to support uh, local initiatives and organizations. Yeah. Maybe to wrap up, um, I mean, you're kind of in charge of fundraising, but I mean, you can fundraise, you know, as a fundraiser, you can work anywhere at any type of nonprofit, but, you mm -hmm. know, for you, um, for you personally, uh, mm -hmm. what makes what the work you do at Arch worthwhile? And, you know, what have you learned um, sitting in your chair, helping Arch mm -hmm. deliver its services? Oh, good question. I, I feel like Arch is amazing because um, I feel like it's, it's me. It's like, it feels as a queer person living in Guelph, I feel like really um, validated in my work with working with folks who are in my community. You know, I'm part of the community and, and that's why it's important to me to be part of it too and to be supporting it in this way. That's like a really funny like answer, but that's exactly what it is. I feel really like it's my identity as a queer person and um, working for an aid service organization just feels really important and good. And, and, and yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Um, mm -hmm. It feels like home and yeah. uh, that's, that's a, that's a positive thing to leave it on. Cause I know you deal with so much, um, I guess people in having difficulty at any given time. So if, mm -hmm. you know, you I mean, if people coming in are in distress and they come somewhere where it feels where it feels less distressy, I think that's a positive contribution. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Oh, this is this is more touchy feely than I like to get on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do that. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll leave it there. And Sonia Preisler, thank you so much for your time and uh, everything that you and everybody at Arch does. It's appreciated. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me and for wanting to know more about us and our work. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. And once again, that was Sonia Preisler. As you heard, today is the start of AIDS Awareness Week. And to learn more about all the events, the Red Scarf Project, or to interact with any of Arch's multitude of services, you can go to their website at archguelph. That's archguelph, all one word, dot ca. In case you want to take part in the in-person 100 Candles event for World AIDS Day, you will have to register in advance. You can go and find the event on Enbrite, or you can find the link in the show notes for this episode and click on it there. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, at the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel... You will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on Facebook at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. 
or you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com if you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico. You can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.